Section 29 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 4. Section 29. Selected Excerpts by William Beckford. William Beckford, 1759-1844 The translation from a defective Arabic manuscript of the Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, first into the French by Galland about 1705, and presently into various English versions, exerted an immediate influence on French, German, and English romance. The pseudo-oriental or semi-oriental tale of home manufacture sprang into existence right and left with the publishers of london and paris and in german centres of letters hopes anastasius or memoirs of a modern greek lewis's the monk the german hauf's admirable stories of the caravan the inn and the palace rickert's tales of the genii and william beckford's history of the caliph vartek are among the finest performances of the sort productions more or less eastern in sentiment and in their details of local colour but independent of direct originals in the persian or arabic so far as is conclusively known william beckford born at london in seventeen fifty nine of a strong line which included a governor of jamaica dying in eighteen forty four is a figure of distinction merely as an englishman of his time aside from his one claim to literary remembrance his father's death left him the richest untitled citizen of england he was not sent to a university but immense care was given to his education in which lord chatham personally interested himself and he travelled widely the result of this on a very receptive mind with varied natural gifts was to make beckford an ideal dilettante his tastes in literature, painting, music, in which Mozart was his tutor, sculpture, architecture, and what not, were refined to the highest nicety. He was able to gratify each of them as such a man can rarely have the means to do. He built palaces and towers of splendour instead of merely a beautiful country seat. He tried to reproduce Vartex halls in stone and stucco, employing relays of workmen by day and night on two several occasions and estates for many months where other men got together moderate collections of bibelots beckford amassed whole museums if a builder's neglect or a fire destroyed his rarities and damaged his estates to the extent of forty or fifty thousand pounds beckford merely rebuilt and recollected these tastes and lavish expenditures gradually set themselves in a current towards things eastern his magnificent retreat at sintra in portugal his vast fonthill abbey and lansdowne hill estates in england were only appanages of his sumptuous state england and europe talked of him and of his properties he was a typical egotist but an agreeable and gracious man esteemed by a circle of friends not called upon to be his sycophants and he kept in close touch with the intellectual life of all europe he wrote much for an amateur and in view of the tale which does him most honour he wrote with success 
at twenty he invited publicity with a satiric jeu d'esprit biographical memoirs of extraordinary painters and his italy with sketches of spain and portugal and recollections of an excursion to the monasteries of alcobaba and batalha were well received but these books could not be expected to survive even three generations whereas vatek the brilliant the unique the inimitable vatek took at once a place in literature which we may now almost dare to call permanent this story not a long one indeed no more than a novelette in size was originally written in french and still lives in that language in which an edition hardly the best has lately been issued under the editorship of m mallarme but its history is complicated by one of the most notable acts of literary treachery and theft on record during the author's slow and finicky composition of it at lausanne he was sending it piecemeal to his friend robert henley in england for henley to make an english version of course to be revised by himself as soon as henley had all the parts he published a hasty and slipshod translation before beckford had seen it or was even ready to publish the french original and not only did so but published it as a tale translated by himself from a genuine arabic original this double violation of good faith of course enraged beckford and practically separated the two men for the rest of their lives indeed the wonder is that beckford would ever recognize henley's existence again the piracy was exposed and set aside and beckford in self-defence issued the story himself in french as soon as he could indeed he issued it in two versions with curious and interesting differences one published at lausanne and the other at paris the lausanne edition is preferable bartek abides to-day accredited to beckford in both french and english a thing to keep his memory green as nothing else of his work or personality will the familiar legend that in its present form it was composed at a single sitting with such ardour as to entail a severe illness and without the author's taking off his clothes cannot be reconciled with the known facts but the intensely vivid movement of it certainly suggests swift production and it could easily be thought that any author had sketched such a story in the heat of some undisturbed sitting and filled finished and polished it at leisure it is an extraordinary performance even in henley's unsatisfactory version it is irresistible we know that beckford expected to add liberally to it by inserting sundry subordinate tales put into the mouths of some of the personages appearing in the last scene it is quite as well that he did not its distinctive orientalism perhaps less remarkable than the unfettered imagination of its episodes the vividness of its characters the easy brilliancy of its literary manner these things with french diction and french wit alternate with startling descriptive impressiveness it is a french combination of cervantes and dante in an oriental and bizarre narrative it is not always delicate but it is never vulgar and the sprightly pages are as admirable as the weird ones its pictures taken out of their connection seem irrelevant and are certainly unlike enough but they are a succession of surprises and fascinations such are the famous description of the chase of vatek's court after the jaur the moonlit departure of the caliph for the terrace of istakhar the episodes of his stay under the roof of the emir fakreddin the pursuit by karatis on her great camel al bufaki 
attended by the hideous Nerkes and the unrelenting Kafur. Nouronihar drawn to the magic flame in the dell at night, the warning of the good jinn, and the tremendous final tableau of the hall of Eblis. The man curious in letters regards with affection the evidences of vitality in a brief production little more than a century old, unique in English and French literature, and occupying today a high rank among the small group of quasi-oriental narratives that represent the direct workings of Galland on the Occidental literary temperament. Today Vartek surprises and delights persons whose mental constitution puts them in touch with it, just as potently as ever it did and simply as a wild story one fancies that it will appeal quite as effectually no matter how many editions may be its future to a public perhaps unsympathetic towards its elliptical satire its caustic wit its fantastic course of narrative and its incongruous wavering between the flippant the grotesque and the terrific the incantation and the sacrifice from the history of the caliph vatek by secret stairs known only to herself and her son she karatis first repaired to the mysterious recesses in which were deposited the mummies that had been brought from the catacombs of the ancient pharaohs of these she ordered several to be taken from thence she resorted to a gallery where under the guard of fifty female negroes mute and blind of the right eye were preserved the oil of the most venomous serpents rhinoceros horns and woods of a subtle and penetrating odour procured from the interior of the indies together with a thousand other horrible rarities this collection had been formed for a purpose like the present by carathis herself from a presentiment that she might one day enjoy some intercourse with the infernal powers to whom she had ever been passionately attached and to whose taste she was no stranger to familiarize herself the better with the horrors in view the princess remained in the company of her negresses who squinted in the most amiable manner from the only eye they had and leered with exquisite delight at the skulls and skeletons which Carathis had drawn forth from her cabinets. Whilst she was thus occupied, the caliph, who, instead of the visions he expected, had acquired in these insubstantial regions a voracious appetite, was greatly provoked at the negresses, for, having totally forgotten their deafness, he had impatiently asked them for food, and seeing them regardless of his demand he began to cuff pinch and push them till carathis arrived to terminate a scene so indecent son what means all this said she panting for breath i thought i heard as i came up the shriek of a thousand bats tearing from their crannies in the recesses of a cavern you but ill deserve the admirable provision i have brought you give it me instantly exclaimed the caliph i am perishing for hunger as to that answered she you must have an excellent stomach if it can digest what i have been preparing be quick replied the caliph but o oh, heavens what horrors what do you intend come come returned carathis be not so squeamish but help me to arrange everything properly 
and you shall see that what you reject with such symptoms of disgust will soon complete your felicity let us get ready the pile for the sacrifice of to-night and think not of eating till that is performed know you not that all solemn rites are preceded by a rigorous abstinence the caliph not daring to object abandoned himself to grief and the wind that ravaged his entrails whilst his mother went forward with the requisite operations files of serpent's oil mummies and bones were soon set in order on the balustrade of the tower the pile began to rise and in three hours was as many cubits high at length darkness approached and carathis having stripped herself to her inmost garment clapped her hands in an impulse of ecstasy and struck light with all her force the mutes followed her example but vatek extenuated with hunger and impatience was unable to support himself and fell down in a swoon the sparks had already kindled the dry wood and the venomous oil burst into a thousand blue flames the mummies dissolving emitted a thick dun vapour and the rhinoceros horns beginning to consume all together diffused such a stench that the caliph recovering started from his trance and gazed wildly on the scene in full blaze around him the oil gushed forth in a plenitude of streams and the negresses who supplied it without intermission united their cries to those of the princess at last the fire became so violent and the flames reflected from the polished marble so dazzling that the caliph unable to withstand the heat and the blaze effected his escape and clambered up the imperial standard in the meantime the inhabitants of samara scared at the light which shone over the city arose in haste ascended their roofs beheld the tower on fire and hurried half naked to the square their love to their sovereign immediately awoke and apprehending him in danger of perishing in his tower their whole thoughts were occupied with the means of his safety morakanabad flew from his retirement wiped away his tears and cried out for water like the rest bababalouk whose olfactory nerves were more familiarized to magical odors readily conjecturing that carathis was engaged in her favorite amusements strenuously exhorted them not to be alarmed him however they treated as an old poltroon and forbore not to style him a rascally traitor the camels and dromedaries were advancing with water but no one knew by which way to enter the tower whilst the populace was obstinate in forcing the doors a violent east wind drove such a volume of flame against them as at first forced them off but afterwards rekindled their zeal at the same time the stench of the horns and mummies increasing most of the crowd fell backward in a state of suffocation those that kept their feet mutually wondered at the cause of the smell and admonished each other to retire morakanabad more sick than the rest remained in a piteous condition holding his nose with one hand he persisted in his efforts with the other to burst open the doors and obtain admission a hundred and forty of the strongest and most resolute at length accomplished their purpose 
carathis alarmed at the signs of her mutes advanced to the staircase went down a few steps and heard several voices calling out from below you shall in a moment have water being rather alert considering her age she presently regained the top of the tower and bade her son suspend the sacrifice for some minutes adding we shall soon be enabled to render it more grateful certain dolts of your subjects imagining no doubt that we were on fire have been rash enough to break through those doors which had hitherto remained inviolate for the sake of bringing up water they are very kind you must allow so soon to forget the wrongs you have done them but that is of little moment let us offer them to the jaur let them come up our mutes who neither want strength nor experience will soon dispatch them exhausted as they are with fatigue be it so answered the caliph provided we finish and i dine in fact these good people out of breath from ascending eleven thousand stairs in such haste and chagrined at having spilt by the way the water they had taken were no sooner arrived at the top than the blaze of the flames and the fumes of the mummies at once overpowered their senses it was a pity for they beheld not the agreeable smile with which the mutes and the negresses adjusted the cord to their necks these amiable personages rejoiced however no less at the scene never before had the ceremony of strangling been performed with so much facility they all fell without the least resistance or struggle so that vatek in the space of a few moments found himself surrounded by the dead bodies of his most faithful subjects all of which were thrown on the top of the pile Vatek and Nuranihar in the Halls of Eblis From the History of the Caliph Vatek The Caliph and Nuranihar beheld each other with amazement at finding themselves in a place which, though roofed with a vaulted ceiling, was so spacious and lofty that at first they took it for an immeasurable plain but their eyes at length growing familiar with the grandeur of the objects at hand they extended their view to those at a distance and discovered rows of columns and arcades which gradually diminished till they terminated in a point radiant as the sun when he darts his last beams athwart the ocean the pavement strewed over with gold dust and saffron exhaled so subtle an odour as almost overpowered them they however went on and observed an infinity of censers in which ambergris and the wood of aloes were continually burning between the several columns were placed tables each spread with a profusion of viands and wines of every species sparkling in vases of crystal a throng of genii and other fantastic spirits of each sex danced lasciviously in troops at the sound of music which issued from beneath in the midst of this immense hall a vast multitude was incessantly passing who severally kept their right hands on their hearts without once regarding anything around them they had all the livid paleness of death their eyes deep sunk in their sockets resembled those phosphoric meteors that glimmer by night in places of interment 
some stalked slowly on absorbed in profound reverie some shrieking with agony ran furiously about like tigers wounded with poisoned arrows whilst others grinding their teeth in rage foamed along more frantic than the wildest maniac they all avoided each other and though surrounded by a multitude that no one could number each wandered at random unheedful of the rest as if alone on a desert which no foot had trodden vartek and nouronihar frozen with terror at a sight so baleful demanded of the jaour what these appearances might seem and why these ambulating spectres never withdrew their hands from their hearts perplex not yourselves replied he bluntly with so much at once you will soon be acquainted with all let us haste and present you to eblis they continued their way through the multitude but notwithstanding their confidence at first they were not sufficiently composed to examine with attention the various perspectives of halls and of galleries that opened on the right hand and left which were all illuminated by torches and braziers whose flames rose in pyramids to the centre of the vault at length they came to a place where long curtains brocaded with crimson and gold fell from all parts in striking confusion here the choirs and dances were heard no longer the light which glimmered came from afar after some time vartek and nouronihar perceived a gleam brightening through the drapery and entered a vast tabernacle carpeted with the skins of leopards an infinity of elders with streaming beards and afrites in complete armour had prostrated themselves before the ascent of a lofty eminence on the top of which upon a globe of fire sat the formidable eblis his person was that of a young man whose noble and regular features seemed to have been tarnished by malignant vapours in his large eyes appeared both pride and despair his flowing hair retained some resemblance to that of an angel of light in his hand which thunder had blasted he swayed the iron sceptre that causes the monster uranabad the afrites and all the powers of the abyss to tremble at his presence the heart of the caliph sunk within him and for the first time he fell prostrate on his face nouronihar however though greatly dismayed could not help admiring the person of eblis for she expected to have seen some stupendous giant eblis with a voice more mild than might be imagined but such as transfused through the soul the deepest melancholy said creatures of clay i receive you into mine empire ye are numbered amongst my adorers enjoy whatever this palace affords the treasures of the pre-adamite sultans their bickering sabres and those talismans that compel the deeves to open the subterranean expanses of the mountain of kaf which communicate with these there insatiable as your curiosity may be shall you find sufficient to gratify it you shall possess the exclusive privilege of entering the fortress of ahoman and the halls of argenk where are portrayed all creatures endowed with intelligence 
and the various animals that inhabited the earth prior to the creation of that contemptible being whom ye denominate the father of mankind Vatek and nouronihar feeling themselves revived and encouraged by this harangue eagerly said to the jaur bring us instantly to the place which contains these precious talismans come answered this wicked deef with his malignant grin come and possess all that my sovereign hath promised and more he then conducted them into a long aisle adjoining the tabernacle preceding them with hasty steps and followed by his disciples with the utmost alacrity they reached at length a hall of great extent and covered with a lofty dome around which appeared fifty portals of bronze secured with as many fastenings of iron a funereal gloom prevailed over the whole scene here upon two beds of incorruptible cedar lay recumbents the fleshless forms of the pre-adamite kings who had been monarchs of the whole earth they still possessed enough of life to be conscious of their deplorable condition their eyes retained a melancholy motion they regarded each other with looks of the deepest dejection each holding his right hand motionless on his heart at their feet were inscribed the events of their several reigns their power their pride and their crimes soliman rad soliman daki and soliman dijan benjan who after having chained up the deeves in the dark caverns of kaf became so presumptuous as to doubt of the supreme power all these maintained great state though not to be compared with the eminence of soliman ben daoud solomon the son of david this king so renowned for his wisdom was on the loftiest elevation and placed immediately under the dome he appeared to possess more animation than the rest though from time to time he laboured with profound sighs and like his companions kept his right hand on his heart yet his countenance was more composed and he seemed to be listening to the sullen roar of a vast cataract visible in part through the grated portals this was the only sound that intruded on the silence of these doleful mansions a range of brazen vases surrounded the elevation remove the covers from these cabalistic depositaries said the jaur to vatek and avail thyself of the talismans which will break asunder all these gates of bronze and not only render thee master of the treasures contained within them but also of the spirits by which they are guarded the caliph whom this ominous preliminary had entirely disconcerted approached the vases with faltering footsteps and was ready to sink with terror when he heard the groans of soliman as he proceeded a voice from the livid lips of the prophet articulated these words in my lifetime i filled a magnificent throne having on my right hand twelve thousand seats of gold where the patriarchs and the prophets heard my doctrines on my left the sages and doctors upon as many thrones of silver were present at all my decisions 
whilst i thus administered justice to innumerable multitudes the birds of the air librating over me served as a canopy from the rays of the sun my people flourished and my palace rose to the clouds i erected a temple to the most high which was the wonder of the universe but i basely suffered myself to be seduced by the love of women and a curiosity that could not be restrained by sublunary things i listened to the counsels of ahoman and the daughter of pharaoh and adored fire and the hosts of heaven i forsook the holy city and commanded the genii to rear the stupendous palace of istachar and the terrace of the watch-towers each of which was consecrated to a star there for a while i enjoyed myself in the zenith of glory and pleasure not only men but supernatural existences were subject also to my will i began to think as these unhappy monarchs around had already thought that the vengeance of heaven was asleep when at once the thunder burst my structures asunder and precipitated me hither where however i do not remain like the other inhabitants totally destitute of hope for an angel of light hath revealed that in consideration of the piety of my early youth my woes shall come to an end when this cataract shall for ever cease to flow till then i am in torments ineffable torments an unrelenting fire preys on my heart having uttered this exclamation soliman raised his hands towards heaven in token of supplication and the caliph discerned through his bosom which was transparent as crystal his heart enveloped in flames at a sight so full of horror nouronihar fell back like one petrified into the arms of vartek who cried out with a convulsive sob o oh, jaru whither hast thou brought us allow us to depart and i will relinquish all thou hast promised o oh, mahomet remains there no more mercy none none replied the malicious steve no miserable prince thou art now in the abode of vengeance and despair thy heart also will be kindled like those of the other votaries of eblis a few days are allotted thee previous to this fatal period employ them as thou wilt recline on these heaps of gold command the infernal potentates range at thy pleasure through these immense subterranean domains no barrier shall be shut against thee as for me i have fulfilled my mission i now leave thee to thyself at these words he vanished the caliph and nouronihar remained in the most abject affliction their tears unable to flow scarcely could they support themselves at length taking each other despondingly by the hand they went faltering from this fatal hall indifferent which way they turned their steps every portal opened at their approach the divs fell prostrate before them every reservoir of riches was disclosed to their view but they no longer felt the incentives of curiosity pride or avarice 
with like apathy they heard the chorus of genii and saw the stately banquets prepared to regale them they went wandering on from chamber to chamber hall to hall and gallery to gallery all without bounds or limit all distinguishable by the same lowering gloom all adorned with the same awful grandeur all traversed by persons in search of repose and consolation but who sought them in vain for every one carried within him a heart tormented in flames shunned by these various sufferers who seemed by their looks to be upbraiding the partners of their guilt they withdrew from them to wait in direful suspense the moment which should render them to each other the like objects of terror what exclaimed nouronihar will the time come when i shall snatch my hand from thine ah said vartek and shall my eyes ever cease to drink from thine long draughts of enjoyment shall the moments of our reciprocal ecstasies be reflected on with horror it was not thou that broughtest me hither the principles by which karatis perverted my youth have been the sole cause of my perdition having given vent to these painful expressions he called to an afrit who was stirring up one of the braziers and bade him fetch the princess karatis from the palace of samara after issuing these orders the caliph and nouronihar continued walking amidst the silent crowd till they heard voices at the end of the gallery presuming them to proceed from some unhappy beings who like themselves were awaiting their final doom they followed the sound and found it to come from a small square chamber where they discovered sitting on sofas five young men of goodly figure and a lovely female who were all holding a melancholy conversation by the glimmering of a lonely lamp each had a gloomy and forlorn air and two of them were embracing each other with great tenderness on seeing the caliph and the daughter of fakreddin enter they arose saluted and gave them place then he who appeared the most considerable of the group addressed himself thus to vartek strangers who doubtless are in the same state of suspense with ourselves as you do not yet bear your hand on your heart if you are come hither to pass the interval allotted previous to the infliction of our common punishment condescend to relate the adventures that have brought you to this fatal place and we in return will acquaint you with ours which deserve but too well to be heard we will trace back our crimes to their source though we are not permitted to repent this is the only employment suited to wretches like us the caliph and nouronihar assented to the proposal and vartek began not without tears and lamentations a sincere recital of every circumstance that had passed when the afflicting narrative was closed the young man entered on his own each person proceeded in order and when the fourth prince had reached the midst of his adventures a sudden noise interrupted him which caused the vault to tremble and to open immediately a cloud descended which gradually dissipating discovered karatis on the back of an afrit who grievously complained of his burden she instantly springing to the ground advanced towards her son and said what dost thou here in this little square chamber 
as the deeds are become subject to thy beck i expected to have found thee on the throne of the pre-adamite kings execrable woman answered the caliph cursed be the day thou gavest me birth go follow this afrit let him conduct thee to the hall of the prophet soliman there thou wilt learn to what these palaces are destined and how much i ought to abhor the impious knowledge thou hast taught me the height of power to which thou art arrived has certainly turned thy brain answered Karatis. but i ask no more than permission to show my respect for the prophet it is however proper thou shouldest know that as the afrit has informed me neither of us shall return to samara i requested his permission to arrange my affairs and he politely consented availing myself therefore of the few moments allowed me i set fire to the tower and consumed in it the mutes negresses and serpents which have rendered me so much good service nor should i have been less kind to morakanabad had he not prevented me by deserting at last to my brother as for baba baluk who had the folly to return to samara and all the good brotherhood to provide husbands for thy wives i undoubtedly would have put them to the torture could i but have allowed them the time being however in a hurry i only hung him after having caught him in a snare with thy wives whilst them i buried alive by the help of my negresses who thus spent their last moments greatly to their satisfaction with respect to dilara who ever stood high in my favour she hath evinced the greatness of her mind by fixing herself near in the service of one of the magi and i think will soon be our own vatek too much cast down to express the indignation excited by such a discourse ordered the afrit to remove karatis from his presence and continued immersed in thought which his companion durst not disturb karatis however eagerly entered the dome of soliman and without regarding in the least the groans of the prophet undauntedly removed the covers of the vases and violently seized on the talismans then with a voice more loud than had hitherto been heard within these mansions she compelled the deeds to disclose to her the most secret treasures the most profound stores which the afrit himself had not seen she passed by rapid descents known only to eblis and his most favoured potentates and thus penetrated the very entrails of the earth where breathes the sansa or icy wind of death nothing appalled her dauntless soul she perceived however in all the inmates who bore their hands on their hearts a little singularity not much to her taste as she was emerging from one of the abysses eblis stood forth to her view but notwithstanding he displayed the full effulgence of his infernal majesty she preserved her countenance unaltered and even paid her compliments with considerable firmness this superb monarch thus answered princess whose knowledge and whose crimes have merited a conspicuous rank in my empire thou dost well to employ the leisure that remains for the flames and torments which are ready to seize on thy heart will not fail to provide thee with full employment he said this and was lost in the curtains of his tabernacle
Carathis paused for a moment with surprise, but, resolved to follow the advice of Eblis, she assembled all the choirs of genii and all the divs to pay her homage. Thus marched she in triumph through a vapour of perfumes, amidst the acclamations of all the malignant spirits, with most of whom she had formed a previous acquaintance. She even attempted to dethrone one of the Solimans for the purpose of usurping his place, when a voice proceeding from the abyss of death proclaimed, All is accomplished. Instantaneously the haughty forehead of the intrepid princess was corrugated with agony. She uttered a tremendous yell, and fixed no more to be withdrawn her right hand upon her heart, which was become a receptacle of eternal fire. In this delirium, forgetting all ambitious projects and her thirst for that knowledge which should ever be hidden from mortals, she overturned the offerings of the genii, and having execrated the hour she was begotten and the womb that had borne her, glanced off in a whirl that rendered her invisible, and continued to revolve without intermission. At almost the same instant, the same voice announced to the caliph, Nouronihar, the five princes, and the princess, the awful and irrevocable decree. Their hearts immediately took fire, and they at once lost the most precious of the gifts of heaven, hope. These unhappy beings recoiled with looks of the most furious distraction, Vartek beheld in the eyes of Nouronihar nothing but rage and vengeance, nor could she discern aught in his but aversion and despair. The two princes who were friends, and till that moment had preserved their attachment, shrunk back, gnashing their teeth with mutual and unchangeable hatred. Kalila and his sister made reciprocal gestures of imprecation, whilst the two other princes testified their horror for each other by the most ghastly convulsions and screams that could not be smothered. All severally plunged themselves into the accursed multitude, there to wander in an eternity of unabating anguish. End of section 29 Recording by Alan Wayman